All right, West Side, Matthew chapter 14. We will be in verses 22 through 34, not 33, so stick around with us for one more verse. You'll be glad that you did. At the end of the reading, I will say this is the word of the Lord because it is, and we declare that every week when we hear from God, from his word, and you can respond with thanks be to God because we are thankful to God for his word. If you are able this morning, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, and they said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Genesaret. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. You may be seated. Well, again, we're glad that you're here. We're in week three of what we're calling um, Canoeing the Mountains. And if it's your first time here or if you haven't caught up with any of those, we direct you to our website and you can sort of hear the first week of that. But what we are learning and the tagline for the series is this, um, learning to faithfully and flexibly follow Jesus. And so with everything that is changing in the world, um, everything that we thought that we had been prepared for, had been planning for, has now changed. And we've been using um, a book from a guy by the name of Todd Bolsinger, and it's a book on Christian leadership. But he uses the story of Lewis and Clark. When Lewis and Clark had prepared for, planned for the great expedition of the Louisiana Purchase, and they were going to find what was called the Northwest Passage, which was going to connect both oceans. Everybody thought it was going to be the greatest water trade. They were going to rule the world. They were waterway experts. And they get to the place that was supposed to be the Northwest Passage, and they saw no water. They saw the Rocky Mountains. And so everything that they had planned for, prepared for, that they were good at, that they were experts at, didn't matter in that moment. They had to adapt to a new call. And what we're saying is in this season um, that the world is in, we're learning maybe in our marriages and in our relationships and maybe in our jobs or maybe in the season of life that we're in, um, I'm having to adapt. Things are changing now and, and everything that I was quote unquote good at, I need to now sort of lay to the side and figure out how to adapt to this call of what's going on. And, and what we said last week was, just a quick review, we said, 
We have to have a motivation to follow Jesus, right? Jesus is calling us, and the invitation is to follow me. And we think we know what that is. But now in light of everything, everything's changed. And we said that we need a motivation to follow Jesus. And we said that Christianity and Jesus Christ is separated from every other religion, every other self-proclaimed leader in the world, because Jesus offers a loving relationship. Like we believe everything that we're doing today and the songs that we're singing and when we pray, um, that we're singing and praying to a God who's alive. You stay up a little late last night for 4th of July? That was a real good spot for an amen, okay? We believe everything that we're doing today, ascribing worth, honor, and praise and prayer is to a God that is not dead but is alive. And that God wants to work in and through relationship. And so we said that it is the love of Jesus that leads me to follow Jesus. That, that if you try to use anything else, man, that, that if you try to use um, fear, fear-mongering, and we kind of talked about some of us were sold that bill of goods, and it was packaged as the gospel, which was like, don't drink, cuss, or chew, or go with girls that do, Right? And don't watch rated R movies unless it's the Passion of the Christ. And don't do any of this stuff because if you do those things, then God's mad at you. And so it's this fear-based. And the reality is is that it's just not sustainable. It's not going to last. And so we said that Jesus uses love, that it's love that compels us to follow him. Um, this week, I, I want to set it up, and, and it's this time of year, and you know, we did it all day yesterday as a family, and I'm sure you did too, but it reminds me that this time of year is my kids are either outside or they're in water, right? And that's just what happens, okay? And praise be to God for the longer days of summer, because now my kids are up super early, and they don't go to bed till the sun goes down, which is, uh, so it's just, it's long, the long days of summer, and it's great, I'm believing by faith. But anyway, um, um, and so I remember like our kids learning how to jump from the edge of the pool and swim. And it, it, it's always that fun moment there when in summertime and we're swimming and we've got, you know, three kids, eight, six, and four. And watching each of them go through that stage of jumping from the side, learning how to swim you see the full range of emotions in a human being, right? You see the anticipation, and, and then the younger ones, when they saw their older brother or Piper, when she sees her older sister, it's the anticipation, and I want to do that, and I want to keep up. But then you get to the edge, and then you see them like, I'm still whittle, you know, and they're like kind of afraid, but the anticipation is there, and then you're trying to coax them into it. You're like, just jump. I'm going to catch. Just jump. And then, you know, you do the just jump, right? And you try to use whatever motivation, okay? Don't judge me as a parent, all right? Okay? You want that ice cream, you better jump in the pool, okay? And so there's that moment, and then, then the jump happens, and it's awesome. And then you do that for the next three and a half hours, right? It's the jumping in, it's the getting out, it's the jumping in, it's the getting out, it's the jump. It's all of that, um, and what we're seeing when we watch kids or when we see our own kids do that, and, and I'm reminded this time every year, um, what we're seeing is, is a profound theological um, belief, actually. And it's faith. That's what we're watching take place. It's faith. Um, you can define faith in a number of ways, and, and this is the way that we've defined it. Um, faith is an internal conviction that is expressed 
in an external action. That's faith. Faith is an internal conviction. I will jump in this water and my mommy and daddy say that they will catch me. That is an internal conviction that is expressed in the external action of what? Jumping in the water. Jumping in the water. You can try to slice it as many ways as you want, and you can try to make it as profound as you want, and you can get in Facebook arguments, and you can talk about prevenient grace and how God grants us the gift of faith, but do we have the free will, and do we not, and blah, 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 and Okay, I'm just not interested in that anymore. You know what I'm interested in? People who express their faith. That's what I'm interested in. Because I think what the church has done is what we've done is we've analyzed things so much. And so taking the illustration of a child jumping into the pool to a parent, what we've done is we've said, um, now let us examine the relationship of the child to the parent. And, and what does the word jump really mean in Greek, right? And actually there's another definition. And if you, and we spend hours and hours and hours Nobody's jumped in the pool, man. <laughs> and actually, faith is such a big deal in the scriptures that um, the writer of Hebrews would say it this way. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, God. For, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith. This is the core tenets of our faith, an internal conviction that is expressed in an external action. And, and, and if you're a non-believer in here, or maybe you're watching this via live stream, um, oftentimes I hear people say, well, you know, I don't have faith. I don't have enough faith to be a Christian or a follower. And, and I would actually say that it's not a matter of if you have faith. Um, everybody has faith. The question is this, is what, what's your faith in? So, so if you're a non-believer and you sort of make some arguments against Jesus, what you're saying is that you have an internal conviction. Most of the time, I think it's not actually, it's not enough information. I think you have wrong information because God forbid we take our theology off of a Facebook video, right? Because I saw it on Facebook, pastor. Okay, all right. That's a different sermon. But what you're saying is you have an internal conviction that leads you to be expressed in an external action of not living the Christian life. So it's not, do I have faith? Yes. I mean, we could even say insurance, right? I mean, you had an internal conviction that you needed insurance. And that faith is expressed every month that you pay your insurance and find out what's not covered. Okay, all right? And so that's, everybody has faith. The question is, what is your faith in? And when we come to our text today and, and the story of Jesus walking on water, um, this is a very profound, very, very famous passage. And, and it's about faith. Jesus says that at the end. He says that, that this story expresses faith. Um, this story actually meant a lot to the early church and early Christians. And so around the first century, we started seeing symbols that would represent um, the Christian faith. And one of the earliest symbols that we have is actually a boat. A boat was one of the earliest symbols for the Christian faith. A lot of people know the ichthus and the fish and this and that, but a boat was even earlier than that because the early church saw the boat 
as the church, a vessel. And that vessel had souls on board that were setting sail for a journey and a destination. And that the ocean in Jewish understanding and theology and even to the early Christians, the ocean represented the turmoil of the world and the heartache and the suffering. That's why anytime Jesus calms the storm, they say, who is this who even the wind and seas obey? The boat was, was symbol, and, and even later on, gravestones for, for Christians had this emblem put on it. It was faith. So this is immediately practical for us. And here's the thing. If we're going to follow Jesus in 2020, which, by the way, how crazy has it been, man? I mean, I saw a little thing that said um, it had a picture of aliens and they go, it's almost our turn, right? Like just, I mean, wow, this has been what a year. And if we're going to follow Jesus in this type of climate, um, today, this is the big idea from the passage. Following Jesus requires faith. Following Jesus requires faith. And here's the scary thing. I think we think we know what that means. I think we think we know what that means, but when we look at this text, I think the reason why it was so cherished by the early church is because we see what faith in action looks like in this passage. We see what it is to follow Jesus in faith. So let's just jump right in. Following Jesus requires faith. The first thing that I see from the text is this. We see that faith gets in the boat. Faith gets in the boat. Look at verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get in the boat. You see that point one just it came from verse 22. I get paid to do this, guys, okay? And so they got in the boat, and they go before him to the other side. Now, while the crowds had been dismissed. So here's the backstory. What Jesus had just done is he had just fed the 5,000, probably more like 10,000. Remember with the little boy's Lunchable? That was awesome. They were like, we're hungry. And so Jesus does this miracle. Everybody's satisfied. That's awesome. And now Jesus is having these crowds follow him, and they're trying to make him king, right? And by the way, Jesus is very uninterested in all of that type of stuff, because he already has his own kingdom. He's already a king. You don't have to make him a king. So what he's doing is he's dismissing the crowds, and he makes the disciples get into the boat, and he's going to go up to the mountain, and he is going to pray. And what's interesting is, is, is we know about the Sea of Galilee. This is where a lot of Jesus' ministry takes place. And, and the Sea of Galilee, those mountain ridges in the back, it sort of sits at a lower elevation, but you have high elevation and low elevation on either side. And so when you get hot air and cold air you know, coming off the high elevation, that's why the storms would arise almost out of nowhere on the Sea of Galilee. And so this is always taking place. But I want to show you something. Jesus made them get into the boat. Now, question. A storm arose. 
a pretty violent storm. And actually, when it says in verse 24, but the boat by this time was going a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the waves were against them. If you're into word studies, you can circle that word beaten there in Matthew. It's actually the Greek word that we use for torture. Like, so this wasn't just a little squall, if you will, right? This is a serious storm that's taking place. And Jesus made them get in the boat by themselves and go into a storm. You see, I think that we can pull just a couple things out of this. And, and, and the first one is this. Um, faith brings me through and to hard things, not around them. Um, and I think we actually have, have a theology that doesn't understand that. And so what I think we need to do is, and this will be pretty heavy for some of us, but God forbid we come to church and we learn something, okay? And so we're going to have to turn to, to a pretty, it's a pretty robust theological book, okay? And, and my kids actually like it. It's called um, Going on a Bear Hunt, okay? So, you know, I don't know if we're going to be ready for this theologically. We're, we're, we're in the deep waters now, right? But if you don't have this book, you need this for your kids because we're going on a bear hunt and we're going to catch a big one, Right? And then there's this phrase that repeats all through. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. Uh-oh, it's a river. It's a deep, cold river. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. Uh-oh, we got to go through it. Listen, the more and more I have conversations with Christians and the more and more I talk to married couples and the more and more I talk to single people and the more and more the general consensus is that we think that faith is like a magic carpet ride. And what it's going to do is it's going to fly us right over that relational conflict or this season in my life. And the reality is the scriptures teach the exact opposite of that. And that faith actually, if you're going to sign up for this gig to follow Jesus, it's going to lead you to these things. But why? Well, I think this second thing is pretty important. When we do what Jesus says, we experience who Jesus is. Now, follow the progression in the text. I want you to see this. Verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get in the boat and go before them to the other side. The storm happens Everything pops off. Now, look at verse uh, 27. But immediately he spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And then drop down verse 31. Jesus reached out his hand, took hold of him saying, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? Verse 32. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Now, they only experienced the worship and the wind ceasing and everything dying down, why? Because they got into the boat. We say this all the time. That thing that you're desiring or that revelation from God is on the other side of obedience. You see, what we want is we want to fall into the boat 
and to worship Jesus. That's what we want. You know, the Jesus lead where your trust is without borders. And we're just like in the car and we're loving it. And this is oceans. I just thought that'd be funny because it's like the thing, right? And so oceans and this is great. And we want that YouTube clip and we want that. That comes as a result of the obedience that Jesus is asking of us. So when we do what Jesus says, that's if, if you want that, that grace and that love and that forgiveness that the scriptures talk about in relationships and in your marriage, um, that comes from the obedience of forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. So when we do what Jesus says, we experience who he is. And then this, faith is not moral performance for God. It's mutual participation with God. And I'm going to spend some time here. Because the more and more I get down to um, having conversations with people who've professed faith in Jesus Christ and they've grown up in church or really just in this general area, right? In the area of Dollar General's Mexican restaurants and car dealerships, okay? There's also something else that goes along on that list. I think a lot of us feel like, you know, verse 22, immediately he made the disciples get in the boat and go to the other side. And here's what I think we do a lot. We get in the boat. And we're sitting in the boat, and we see Jesus walk away, and he goes up the mountain. And we're in the boat. And as we're paddling away in the boat, you know what we're saying to ourselves? You know how much God loves me now that I got in this boat? I mean, I did. I did what Jesus said. So because I did what Jesus said, Jesus loves me so much more. He loves me so much more. Or I did this, so in order that if I do, you know, that person on the side of the road, like if I don't stop and help that person on the side of the road, like God's not going to love me as much as if I did do that. Listen, that is the opposite of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is more, and we say this all the time, I am not into behavior modification. And sometimes I feel like a school principal, right? Where it's like, Pastor, did you say what they did? Did you say their Facebook? Did you say that? Right? It's this moral behavior modification. We are not interested in that because here's what we believe. That what your heart desires, that your belief determines your behavior. So if you're just dealing with this behavior issue and trying to clean the outside up, but you are a rotting corpse on the inside, we believe the gospel changes us not from the outside in, but from the inside out. And that is a long process. And so um, through, through our coaching, Gravity Leadership, they, they have a very helpful graph that determines, am I living my life based on moral performance or, or does God want to partner with me in this? And so here are some things. Um, do you feel like that you're performing for God, right, or that you're participating with God? Jason, how do I know that? Participating with God is a lot messier, a lot messier. Um, example, my son loves to go fishing. Do you know how much easier it is for me to do everything for Roman? Like, you know, put the hook, do all that, cast that, do all of that type of stuff. It's a lot easier to do that. It's a lot more messy when there is a participation and Roman's learning how to do those things as well. And so if you're focused on your life being so nice and neat from the outside... I think there's a basis that there's a performance for God in there. Or how about some of these things? Trying harder, always. There's guilt, 
their shame, coulda, woulda, shoulda, I didn't. But when it comes to participation, there's this level of surrender. And it's not the cheesy, like, let go and let God, okay? Because God still uses us. But there's a difference in caring about it and carrying it, okay? And then just um, this one really stuck out to me. Moral performance thinks that there's a reward for a job well done. Now, we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But do you know how we get that? We get that from the fruit of being connected to Jesus Christ. That the obedience and the fruit of the Spirit in your life, please listen to me, is nothing that you produce on your own It is only a byproduct of a loving relationship with Jesus. And I use this illustration all the time. But if I were to, you know, go home and have flowers and do all this and really try to impress my wife, and she doesn't like the flowers and the chocolate stuff or anything like that, it would be like a hike or quality time together or me like doing like a craft thing or something because Pinterest is every husband's nightmare now, right? Or it's something like that. And, and I did all of those things and then held it up when she didn't do what I wanted. And I went, do you not see everything that I've done for you? And you don't give me what I desire now? That, that's a contract. That's, that's not a covenant. But if the, if the gifts and the walks and the quality time and all of that is just a natural byproduct of, I just want to be with my lady, man. I love my wife. She's my Pocahontas. That makes me John Smith, but that's a whole different deal. We're not going to go there in this sermon, okay? I love my wife, and so those are two different things. Listen, faith, it gets in the boat. The second thing I see is this. Um, this is good news. Jesus sustains the boat. Jesus sustains the boat. So the storm happens, verse 25, and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost, phantom. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Jesus sustains the boat. You need to know that. Faith gets you in the boat. Jesus sustains the boat. But there's a few things that I see, and the first one is this. Um, Jesus is present in my circumstances. In my circumstances. It is not if I can just get through this season of singleness in my life, if I can just get through this weird world of dating and all of that, then my relationship with Jesus is, no, listen, he is present now. Jesus is active now in our lives. But the second thing is this. um, Jesus often comes when I least expect it. (laughs) Fourth watch of the night. That's between 2, 3, 4, 5, or 6 a.m. If you've lived a long enough life and you've walked with Jesus in any amount of time, Does that fourth watch of the night ring something deep within your soul? Um, Mama, does it ring in your soul praying for those babies at 3 a.m.? Dad, or man, does it at 3 a.m. when you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders and I don't know how to provide and I can't even follow you? I haven't read my Bible in the, the fourth watch of the night. 
And what we want is we want our Jesus calling at 7.30 a.m. with a cup of coffee. But the reality is, is that it's in the fourth watch of the night is when Jesus comes to us, to us. And then I see this. Jesus is God. And please don't just let that go in one ear and out the other. This is what we believe, man. That if you want to know what the creator of the cosmos is like, what we believe in our doctrinal statement is who or what we think God is like, our answer is look at Jesus. That is our answer. Look to Christ. Because Jesus is walking on the water. And he comes, but he says there's two little, um, if you know your Bible, that sticks out. The first thing is this. Jesus says, take heart. It is I. Um, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that is Exodus chapter 3 where God tells Moses, I am. Jesus uses. So anybody that ever says like, oh, well, Jesus never really claimed to be God. He never, that's, just, that's not true. That is not true. The second thing in Mark's gospel, this is recorded in Mark, John, and Matthew's gospel. In Mark's gospel, Mark says that he intended to pass them by. It's the same phrase that when um, God told Moses to go into the cleft of the rock so his glory would pass by, or when Elijah was there and the cloud passed by. All of these are divine references. And you say, Jason, why does the three simple words, Jesus is God, how does that affect me? Tomorrow's Monday, the world's a little crazy. Well, listen, it affects you in a number of ways, but the primary one is this. You are without excuse. You are without excuse to say something like, well, I just don't know what God is like. Listen, Jesus does not allow you to say that. And most of us have an image of God that we've created ourselves. So what I see is that faith, it gets us in the boat. But the good news is, is that Jesus is sustaining the boat amidst all of this. But then there's another move that I see, and the third thing is this, is that now, now faith gets us out of the boat, Right? So for some of us, the call of obedience is to get in the boat. That's your word today. For some of us, the call is, is to get out of the boat. Look at verse 28. And Peter answered him, Lord, it is, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on water and came to Jesus. Like, by the way, um, call me a simple man, but like, I believe this happened. We okay with that? Like, I am so down with higher education and critical theories and all of these things to say, well, this is a philosophical meaning intended upon for the thing with the stuff. And the, like, it's like this. Listen, if, if my Jesus doesn't walk on water, then I don't think that Jesus gets out of the grave either. These are massively important for us. And so Jesus is walking on water. Peter's walking, comes to him. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand. Um, there's a lot of speculation. A lot of people say, Peter shouldn't have done that. Peter shouldn't have, you know, got out. This is just Peter blurting out, blah, 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 this, that, and the other. Here's one thing that I think matters. And what I see is that faith desires to be with Jesus. Like... Verses 28 through 31, I've wrestled with them this week because I, I hear myself in Peter. Jesus, is that you? 
If that's you, I don't care where, what, or how, command me to come to you. I just, I want to be with you, Jesus. Like, listen, I believe that that is a sheer sign that you're growing in your faith is that your affections, listen to me, some of us have gone to church all of our life, we've done the thing, grandma, all of that stuff, and, and, and I praise God for all of that. But here's my question. Is your affection, is your love for Jesus Christ increasing? Do you love Jesus more today than you did a year ago? Do Faith desires to be with Jesus. And so I don't, I'm not going to, you know, get on to Peter for saying that he shouldn't have done that. And, and, and by the way, how do I determine, Jason, what is foolishness and what is faith? Because a lot of people say it's foolish for people or for Peter to have done that. A lot of people are like, look at that faith. How do you determine what's foolish or what's faith? Well, I think you ask Jesus. Because look at what Peter did. Lord, if it is you, Command me to come to you. And what does Jesus say? Come. Listen. I get this all the time. Um, you know, is it God's will right now that I should do this or, you know, that I should do this or, you know, Chevier Ford or, I, you know, I don't know, whatever. And then there's this growing increase of things that are like, well, I just right now, you know, think God wants me like out of my marriage. Or I just don't feel or I just, listen, we can do the same thing that Peter did when we open our Bible. Lord, Lord, is this season in my life, Lord, is this your desire and your will? And we get a word from the Lord. I mean, this is profound for us. So the way to distinguish between foolishness and faith, because I think a lot of time it's foolishness covered up in the name of faith. It's just irresponsibility or all of those things. Ask it and run it by the Lord. The second thing that I see is this, and oh my goodness. Jesus' faithfulness is greater than my faithlessness. And this is good news. Peter starts to walk on water. I mean, he walked on water, man. This is like, this is incredible. Lord, if it's you, come. Peter's out the boat. I mean, this guy is out of the boat. He's walking on the water. And then he sees the waves. Then he sees his circumstances. And this is where I hear so much of myself. Jesus, I'm coming. I am coming and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Lord, I am coming. And then I see my circumstances. And my next response is this. Lord, save me. I mean, does anybody else feel this way in here? I mean, it's like, Jesus, this is it. I'm, I'm down for this, bro. We're doing, I am coming to you. Oh, no. Lord, save me. I don't know how to do this anymore. And listen... What, how you view God as to how God would respond to that determines everything. And look at these next, just two words in verse 31. Peter began to sink 
And he cried out, Lord, save me. And the next two words, I live my life on these next two words. I bank my eternity on these next two words. I've given my life to this church because of these next two words. Jesus immediately reached out. He, are you guys alive in here today? Lord, save me in the fourth watch of the night. My grandbaby's dying of the addiction. My marriage is not going to last. I did what you thought I was going to do. And in this season of singleness, I cannot move forward anymore. Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reaches out. And listen, if you think, if you think the Christian life is walking on water only... If you think that Peter's the epitome, here's what I'm trying to say. When was Jesus closest to Peter? Not when he was walking on water, but when he was sinking in it. Grace is not for walking on water. Grace is for sinking. Jesus wasn't the closest to Peter when he's just killing it and walking on water. Jesus is the closest to Peter when he says, Lord, save me. Listen, this whole thing, this whole thing is about the faithfulness of Jesus. It's not about us. And the third thing I see is this. It's not the size of my faith, but the object of my faith that saves me. Listen, this is crucial. We're going to get to it because I know what you're saying. Well, Jason, he says little faith at the end. We're going to get to that. But some of us grew up with an understanding and a teaching that has crept into the church and into Christian bookstores and in your devotionals and this, that, and the other. And it is a prosperity gospel which comes from the pit of hell. And I'm not just meeting, meaning like, love Jesus and you'll drive a Cadillac. I'm not saying that. The core of the prosperity gospel is if you have enough faith then God is like a slot machine and he is obligated to move on behalf of your faith. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. Because I've never seen any of those preachers with me in the hospital room when the monitor doesn't make any more sounds anymore. And we've already put oil on. And we've already prayed for granddaddy and grandmama and that little baby. And now what we say is what Peter said. Lord, save us. Lord, save us. It is not about the size of your... It's the object of your faith. That if you were falling off a cliff and you reach out for a branch to save you, it doesn't matter the size of the branch in that moment. It's are you going to reach out? Are you going to reach out? And that is the internal conviction that leads to that external action. That is good for some of you. That is a burden lifted off of you today. That this thing is not on you. That it's on Christ. And then the last thing that I see in the text is this. Faith gets Jesus in the boat and to the other side. Verse 32. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And then, when they had crossed over, they came to land. Like, I added that in for the sermon. 
Like most, they don't put verse 34. Most commentators and everybody, and in your Bible, there's a text break, and it stops at verse 33. I'm like, that's not the end of the movie. They, like, they got to the other side. When Jesus got in their boat, they made it to the other side. And so listen, just real quickly, this is what I see, that peace is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Some of us, many of us are going to go on vacation this summer, okay? And you're going to have some time of rest, hopefully, a little bit of rest, some fun, some relaxation. And when you come back, you're going to go, man, I need a vacation from the vacation. Or, oh, man, I can't believe, right? Listen, let that be a tail sign. That peace is not in a place. Peace is not in possessions. Listen to me. Peace is not in a position. Peace is found in the person and in the presence of Jesus Christ. And the storm's still going on. But when Jesus enters in, the presence, the presence of Jesus Christ makes all the difference. What I see is also faith leads to surrender and not to control. Um, it says that they worshipped him. They worshipped him. And those in the boat, Mark's gospel records that they fell. Um, most of the time, surprisingly, did you know that worship always denotes physical posture? So for some of you in a personality, you know, when Pastor Tyler's like, hey, raise your hand. Some of y'all are like, nope, I ain't doing that. Okay, well, listen, I'm just saying, he's leading us and teaching us what the Bible teaches about worship. And the reason why it denotes physical posture is because that is a physical sign of the internal truth. That when you kneel, or when your hands are lifted, which by the way is the international sign of surrender, or when you've bowed, that's surrender. Worship is not control. It's surrender. It's literally a letting go and being in awe of how big Jesus is. Worship comes from, the, from an old word, worth-ship. It's what you ascribe worth to. So let's say that you were on the antique road show and you were cleaning out your house and remember Grandmama Goo Goo Gaga Boo Boo gave you that little necklace thing, right? And that it was in a drawer somewhere else, but you were cleaning everything out. And, and you take it to the antique road show, and then we all live this fantasy, right? Come on. We all live this fantasy, right? And it's like, this is the only necklace in the world that was wore by Jesus himself, right? Or something crazy. Um, when you go back home, are you putting that in the drawer in the back room anymore? No. What are you doing? You have now understood the worth of what that is. So now when you walk in the home, it's on the center mantelpiece. That's why the first thing that you see when you walk in this building are the words, it is all about Jesus. Because the worth that is ascribed to him is that he is worthy of it. And so we surrender our lives. And the last thing that I see is this. Saving faith and sustaining faith, listen to me, they start and they end with Jesus. <laughs> we don't graduate to, to bigger, greater things. The faith that saved us, which is even a gift of God in and of itself, is the same faith that sustains us. 
And it's not, this is what the Apostle Paul, a guy who um, met Jesus and there's a really awesome story, would write to a church in Corinth who they thought that when you quote-unquote got saved and had saving faith, then you showed and you really matured when you had incredible spiritual gifts and when you spoke in tongues or when you told people, I feel like God is telling me to tell you and ooh and all. And listen, by the way, we believe in that and that's awesome and that's great. But at the end of the day, the summa cum laude of the Christian life is Faith in Jesus Christ. And that is it. We don't graduate to greater, bigger, and better things. So following Jesus in this crazy, strange, uncertain world, it's going to require faith, okay? It's going to require faith. And faith is the internal conviction that is expressed in an external action. In closing, Bishop J.C. Ryle has these magnificent words that spur us on. He says this, How much there is in all of this to encourage us to serve Christ. Where is the man that ought to be afraid to begin running the Christian race with such a Savior as Jesus? If we fall, he will raise us again. If we err, he will bring us back. But his mercy shall never be altogether taken from us. He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he will keep his word. May we not only remember that while we do not despise little faith, we must not sit down content with it. Our prayer must be what Jesus taught. Lord, increase our faith, our focus on Jesus. So listen, here's, here's the challenge today for you. There is something in your life that God is calling you to. Listen, and it might just be as simple. This is what following Jesus is, right? You ready? It might be as simple as a cup of coffee with someone. Just a conversation. That because there's the internal conviction, because you've said, Lord, if this is you in this relationship, and if, if this is your act of obedience, say come. And the Lord has said come. And now that has to be expressed in an external action. Listen, my question to you today is this. Are you going to get out of the boat? Are you going to get in the boat? And know this, that the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ is a lot bigger than the ocean that you feel like you're sinking in. And a prayer that Jesus will always answer is very simply this, Lord, save me. So will you step out in faith today? Westside, let us stand to our feet and let us pray how Jesus taught us to pray. Lift your voices out loud together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Oh, Jesus, we are so grateful for the good news 
that your faithfulness is greater than our failures. God, I believe that there are some people in this room today who their head is about to go under, that they are sinking. I pray that you would grant the faith in this room today for them in humility to be able to cry, Jesus, save me, save me. God, for some of us in here today, we're on the shore and you've commanded us to get in the boat that we desire to experience the grace and mercy and forgiveness and the bigness of who you are, Jesus. But we're not even in the boat yet. Grant us the boldness to get into the boat as you've commanded. And God, for some of us in the room today, your, your word is to get out of the boat, that there is a risky act of faith that seems so scary on our part but you are there and present in our circumstances. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. And Jesus, may you be glorified. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.